0: episode of the Chris Pritchard Show. My guest has covered the G League for eight years. You can find him on Twitter at Keith B. Schlosser. He is Keith Schlosser. Keith, how are you doing? Doing well, Chris. How about you? I'm doing well. To start off, the 2019-20 season is long gone, and you followed many of the players closely. Are there any player or players that you saw last year that you could see potentially be a valuable contributor in the years to come?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, isn't that the loaded question, right? I mean, we've had a lot of uh, two-way players last year that that stood out. Um, Kenny Wooten is one that stands out to me, um, particularly. I know he he got picked up by the Rockets, but I mean, he was one of the league's leading shot blockers. Uh, Frank Mason is another one who I believe he's a free agent at this time. So, you know, Frank Mason, obviously Kansas product. He he was the MVP last year, and and he's just a guy who can do a little bit of everything. He can score, absolutely, and we know that. But at the same time, G League guys have to find their niche. So, you know, Frank can spread the floor. He can, he can, He's a good playmaker. And most notably, I mean, he was in the Bucks organization, so we know he can win. You know, he's part of, been part of those environments. So, you know, when you look at a guy like Frank Mason, you look at a guy like Kenny Wooten, those are two guys that stand out to me just because, they have an idea of what their niche is and, and how to contribute to those NBA environments.
0: The season was cut short, unfortunately, due to COVID nineteen. Were there any players that you thought possibly could have earned a call up in the final month of the season?
1: You know, I, I actually don't think the G League was at that, that much of a disadvantage. You, you know, um, when, when the season was called due to the pandemic, just because there was a, a, a you know maybe a, a week or so left in the regular season, there would have been playoffs. I mean, I, I think that. You know, not not so much call ups, but I think if you look at a guy like Chris Boucher, the year before he had his two way contract converted, he was a member of the Raptors and he went on to win a championship. I think at that point in the season, teams are looking to see, you know, which of their their homegrown products can contribute to the NBA, you know, c- uh, contribute to the NBA season moving forward. At that point, they've put in the time, they've gotten acclimated to the atmosphere, acclimated to the coach's you know system. So I think at that point it would have been nice to see, you know, some of the two-way guys get converted, uh maybe look at some assignees that have been, you know, down in the, in the G League earlier in the year kind of step up. Uh, you know, so with regard to call-ups, I don't really think that they were at a disadvantage.
0: Two of the big topics during the off-season were the professional pathway program and the G League forming a union. Both topics we will likely get into, but starting off with the professional pathway program. It was the first year where some of the top high school prospects bypassed the NCAA and went to the G League and now are a part of this Ignite team. What were your thoughts as you saw the t- prospects head to the G League for the first time and be a part of this professional pathway program?
1: Well, I mean, I think the proof is in the pudding in, in the sense that, you know, the G League has always been an asset for, for the for the NBA to utilize for development um, programs, development aspects, always kind of seeing what can we do next with the NBA. And, and I think that, you know, giving these prospects an opportunity to kind of strut their stuff and, you know, you know, get get exposed to the professional game, you know, it's only going to make these prospects more prepared for the NBA moving forward. And it's going to give the G League more credibility as a platform to develop, a platform to, you know, the G League is the second, they say, it's the second best basketball league in the world right behind the NBA and when you up the competition, you're gonna. not only are you going to give the, the G League more credibility itself, but you're going to give the rest of the prospects that compete in the G League some added competition to up their games. I mean, I, I think when you look at the specific prospects, like Jalen Green, I, I think he's phenomenal. I think he's, you know, the, the, the prospect that you look at, and you think he has the potential for a full package. He's, I think he can be a combo defender as far as a guard. I think he's explosive. Uh, you look at a guy like Jonathan Kaminga, who could be a real defensive stopper in the NBA, and, and the list just goes on. Isaiah Tide, Ka- uh, Todd, Isaiah, uh, Kai Soto, and you know, all those guys—they're going to get a real opportunity to, to develop. Number one, but you know, really have a chance to mature because you're you're, you're developing 17, 18-year-olds in a world where you're going to throw them into the NBA and they're not going to be competing against boys. They're not going to have to worry about homework anymore. They're going to have to worry about competing with the most physical specimen you can find and do it in a professional environment that requires you to travel, requires you to be self-sufficient. So I think that the the G League is going to be used to develop those skills.
0: With such young players with these high school prospects, you see that it's extremely important to surround these players with the best coaching staff and the best veterans on the team to help them progress on the court and off the court. How do you think these young players are being put in the best position to succeed with these coaches that are in place and the veterans that are around
1: I mean, I, I think, like you said, Chris, I, I think it's a combination of things. I, I think that, you know, as the G League gets more credibility, it's not just, you know, I, I think eyeballs are on this league, right? So so the veteran players who might be a little bit older, they're opting to come to, to the G League and, and just stay local and, stay, and play local basketball because they know people are watching, whereas, you know, overseas, the argument, even though you're getting a more lucrative contract, the argument is you're out of sight, out of mind. So i think that's why the veterans come to play i think the veterans in turn give some of the younger players you know like i said earlier some added competition and i think for the coaches i mean you know you see a lot of assistant co uh, nba assistant coaches you see a lot of player development coaches in the nba again they might be getting more lucrative deals in the nba they might get a chance to ride on private jets and, and to be part of that nba environment but the g league you know it gives them a real hands on experience you know it gives them an opportunity to be exposed to the chance to be a, a head coach and really learn and kind of come into their own and, and you know just understand how to how to guide players from a one to one basis and to get and to how to relate to players you you the the environments of the head coach the tasks that they that they have are more personalized you know it, it's You really have to be self-sufficient as a coach. And I think a great example of that is Dan Craig. You know, he was a heat assistant for nearly 20 years. That year in Sioux Falls in uh, 2015-2016 really helped him. He was a G League champion. He coached the MVP. He coached the Defensive Player of the Year. And now he's with the LA Clippers with a really good opportunity in the NBA.
0: So speaking of Dan Craig, as you mentioned, his uh, long tenure in the G League or the D League at the time, jumping into coaches who have spent time in the g league starting off with dan craig he was with um the sioux falls sky force when they went 40 and 10 and won the championship he has spent the past few years with the miami heat as an assistant coach and recently became one of the assistant coaches with the los angeles clippers how do you think dan craig has risen up the coaching ranks and is someone to be considered as the head coach in the future
1: I mean, I, I think he's on the cusp, man. You know, I, I think he, obviously, we heard that he, he went through the interview circuit with the Pacers and, and some other teams, you know, this off season, And, you know, he's just the guy, like I mentioned, he has more credibility as an overall coach, as a guy who can kind of take the lead on things because he had that experience in the G League. And look, you know, a guy like Dan Craig, he was a, a Heat loyalist. The organization loved him. You know, and he had spent nearly 20 years with that organization, but are a very comfortable organization to be a part of. You're, you've got a lot of pride, you've got a lot of success. It's a winning environment. He could have sat comfortably, you know, at the time and just been an assistant or, or a second row assistant, and again gotten his paycheck. You know, enjoyed the South Beach weather, enjoyed the winning environment. And just kind of phoned it in, and he didn't want to do that. He went to Sioux uh, Falls, where it was freezing, where it was far from the NBA team. You know that, that affiliation, it's not necessarily local. And, and the G League lifestyle, you know, it, it's a grind. As as valuable as as it is an, as an experience, you know, if you can kind of keep your eye on the long long-term plan, it's beneficial. But in the short term, it's scary. It's frustrating. You're you're kind of putting the time in, and you don't know, you know, what. What the uh, the benefits are going to be? So Dan Craig kept his head down. He he put the work in, and look, I, I think you know being a champion is one thing, but I also think that if you coach two players, he he coached Arnell Stokes to the MVP and DeAndre Liggins to the the Defensive Player of the Year. You know you have to get players to buy into your system, and Dan Craig did that in the G League, and there's no reason why he can't replicate that in the NBA in the near future.
0: Two of the head coaching changes during the off season, Nate. Bjorgen and Mark Dagnalt were hired by the Indiana Pacers and Oklahoma City Thunder this offseason. Bjorgen spent four seasons with the Bakersfield Jam, Iowa Energy, Santa Cruz Warriors, Dakota Wizards, and Dagnalt spent a few years with the Oklahoma City Blue. How do you feel that these coaches have used the G League as an opportunity to? Springboard their careers to opportunities in the NBA?
1: Well, you know, I'll start with Mark Dagnall. I, I think it's, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, the Knicks did it last year when they promoted Mike Miller as an interim head coach. It's really interesting that Dagnall literally came to their system. He spent, like you mentioned, Chris, four or five years with the Blue uh, before becoming a Thunder assistant last season. And, and this just means that he was married into their systems, married into their organizational philosophies and grew, you know, within that umbrella. So there's arguably no one that I, I shouldn't say no one better, but, but no one better suited to kind of make, take that step, you know, make that step and, and, and kind of rise up because he knows what they're looking for. He knows what their values are. You know, in, in the case of, of Nate Bjorkman, he has a lot of G league experience. He was a champion with, with Nick Nurse with the Iowa energy. He coached the Santa Cruz warriors to the, to the G league finals. And, you know, the interesting thing about that is when you look at his fit with the Pacers, uh, Brian Levy, who's the GM of the, the Fort Wayne Ants, they work together with the Bakersfield Jam. You've got T.J. Warren in Indiana, who Bjorken actually coached as an NBA signee, uh, again, with Bakersfield. Now they're both reunited in the Indiana, so there's some familiarity there. But Bjorkren, like Dagnall those two guys, they put in the time, and they were rewarded deservingly.
0: Keith Schlosser here on the podcast. Another G League head coach that was being considered during the offseason was Will Weaver, who coached the Long Island Nets during the 2018-19 season where the Nets made the G League finals and just fell short of the championship. He spent last season in Australia in the NBL. How has Weaver looked the past couple of seasons in the G League and in Australia to where he's being considered as a head coaching candidate?
1: You know, Weaver, I mean, again, we keep talking, you know, I think when you when you look at a lot of these, these G League alum-turned-NBA coaching candidates, you look at relationships, and, and you look at people that you can grow under and that you can learn from. I mean, Will Weaver learned from the likes of Kenny Atkinson, who, who's a total workhorse and is known for his development. He learned with the Mets, obviously. Uh, he he learned under Brett Brown. who Brett Brown is a great Popovich disciple, and Brett Brown obviously has his own experience with the Sixers and, and
0: internationally.
1: Will Weaver is a guy who... Has you know, he's putting the time in the G League internationally. He's
0: been exposed to
1: different facets of the game, and he's somebody who knows how to fire guys up. I mean, when I was you know with the NBA G League, I I watched firsthand how he fired up the Long Island Nets in in the twenty nineteen G League Finals. He knows how to get under their skin, but in a good way. You know, he knows how to motivate them. He knows how to put them in right places to succeed. And Will Weaver is a guy, you know, a lot of times, we, went, we mentioned this earlier, when you're in the G League, your confidence can waver because you don't know what comes next. Will Weaver is a guy who's got great confidence, not only, you know, in his players, but in his own ability to get them motivated to lead the way. And, and you know, look, I would have personally liked to see him land with the New Orleans Pelicans because Trayvon Langley is, is there and they spent time together in, in the with the Long Island Nets the year prior. But Will Weaver, you know, he landed on his seat with the Rockets, and he's going to get an opportunity, you know, to be a prominent assistant on a on a, on a team that's going to compete. And, you know, look, if the Rockets get into the playoffs again, you know, who knows what's going to happen with some of these, you know, a guy like Russell Westbrook and James Harden, you know, whether they're going to be in a Rockets uniform next season, we'll see. But, you know, if the Rockets do well and, and Weaver gets some credit, maybe he will be the next up for an NBA head coaching job next season.
0: You did a piece on your newsletter about Phil Handy, who – is an assistant coach with the Los Angeles Lakers. He spent some time in the past decade with the Lakers, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Toronto Raptors, and previously before... Entering the NBA, he was a volunteer coach with the Reno Bighorns during the 2010-11 season. Can you talk about Handy's impact with the teams that he's been a part of?
1: Yeah, you know, Chris, I appreciate you plugging the newsletter a little bit. And for that article, I did speak with, um, with Eric Musselman. Eric Musselman is a former League coach of the year. He spent time in the NBA as well, obviously, and now he's a collegiate coach at Arkansas. You know, Eric Musselman, I think you know, put it back the best. Phil Handy is a workhorse. He's willing. You know, he g- gets down and dirty with players. He'll get, you know, he works out with them to no end. He puts in the time where he's not, you know, clocking in, clocking out. He j- he just has dedication, and he's willing to rebound for the guys. He's willing to lend a listening ear when the guys are struggling or the, when the guy when the guys have questions. Phil Handy is kind of like a, a Swiss Army knife. He can do it all. He puts in the time. And he, like I said, there aren't too many guys who want to just rebound for guys into the late hours of the night and and who are going to just be in the gym all night long just so that somebody can get better. He, ded- he dedicates himself to the players. And, and, uh, and listen, I think every every um, NBA environment that he's contributed to, I mean, the guy is a multi-time champion. We've seen, He won this year with the Lakers. He won last year with the Raptors. And that's because he helps players up their game. He gets them motivated, and quite frankly, if you're feeling good about yourself, you're going to ride that wave to a victory, and that's what his teams do.
0: During the offseason, the G League formed a union. It was temporarily called the Basketball Players Union, and they appointed some former players in position, such as Andre Ingram, who has been named the president. David Stockton was named the vice president, and... One of the top prospects, Isaiah Todd, was named the Secretary Treasurer. What were your thoughts when you heard the G League forming a union, and how do you think those who were appointed in those positions fit their roles? Perfect.
1: You know, I think I think it's well deserved an opportunity for the for the G League to, to have representation and to, you know, look they they've been a big part of what the NBA has done in the last few years in terms of. You know the NBA's development plans, opportunities to explore different rules and different, uh, you know, coaching philosophies and all that. So the G League absolutely adds value, and the and the players are front and center. They deserve to get paid. The union is a great opportunity for them to be represented and to, and to kind of fight for for those opportunities. You know, I'm sure we'll learn more as the as the weeks and months go on here and as the season begins. But as far as a guy like Andre Ingram being named, you know, the interim president. I think there's no one better suited. He's been in the G League for over a decade. He he's seen all kinds of walks of life. He's been part of different, you know, teams, different cities, different environments. And there's no one better that's going to fight for, for what the what the G Leaguers deserve and, and kind of understand the grind that they go through and the struggles and kind of the you know, I should say like how much money is equated to all the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into this G League game. No one knows more that, uh, than Andre Ingram.
0: One of the big discussions when it comes to G League players has been pay of players. And you've seen during your time covering the league where the pay has been in tears and then the pay was recently raised to G League players on contracts make 35000 a year. When the pay increases for players do you think that will impact players' decision to stay in the States rather than go overseas and chase that NBA dream?
1: I think we're already seeing that. I mean, I mean, the pay for two-way players and the exposure that the two-way players get and the opportunity that the two-way players get to be part of that NBA environment more often, that collectively really makes the G League look good. You know, I think it puts them in positive standing. Players want to compete. The problem is, you know, th- there's only so many two-way spots to go around, so... You know, the rest of the G League prospects are represented. Are they uh, compensated properly? You know, look, you know, the best thing that I can say is each and every year we're seeing that number go up. So obviously, you know, there's value in, in what the G League brings. There's value in the in, in the players that, you know, really compete and make this league what it is. And they deserve to get paid. And, and quite frankly, I mean, look, the the, the number one thing, too, even though you're not getting paid as much as you'd like right off the bat, if you stay in the G League, the longer you stay in the G League, the more NBA eyeballs you're going to get on you, and that's a faster route to to an NBA call the, where the big bucks really are. So I think if you're willing to put in the time and, and the investment in the G League, you'll reap the benefits sooner than later. And and for those that you know might have overseas competition in terms of offers and opportunities, I think the G League is working hard to, to kind of bridge that gap as best as, as they can. And, and there being a union in place is even further evidence of that.
0: What are a few things that you'd like to see the union focus on over the next couple of years?
1: I mean, we, we've we been talking about it, right? Increased pay is one thing. Um, but if you look at it, you know, it's not just the, the pay, it's the lifestyle. You know, these guys, they... They, for the most part, a lot of them live in hotels. You know that the, the G League mandated housing is mostly, you know, hotel rooms. And sometimes they, you know, for road trips, they have to share. You know, um, this used to be a little bit more prevalent previously, but I'm sure it still happens when they take road trips. Some teams are are riding on buses late into night, as as opposed to to taking flights and and to and to having. I don't want to say more luxurious travel and more luxurious opportunities, but just clean and convenient opportunities. So I think it's, it's not just the pay. It's the lifestyle. It's the hotels. It's the, it's the warm rides. It's the um, housing. It's the per diem for food. So I think that's the type of thing that even if you're not getting paid you know, as much as you'd like on a weekly basis, what can the G League do for you as a player to kind of make you comfortable? The more comfortable you are, the more you can focus on your actual game, and the sooner you'll be in the NBA. So I think it's not just about the pay increase, it's about the lifestyle that these guys live on a daily basis.
0: When you see a team like the Miami Heat, who made the NBA Finals, several of their players were developed in Sioux Falls, or have G League experience. How has Miami used their G League affiliate to develop their own players, but also finding contributors across the G League?
1: You know, it's really, Miami's a really interesting case with regard to their G League relationship because, like I mentioned earlier, you know, they're affiliated with Sioux Falls and they don't have the luxury of bringing guys back and forth overnight. It's, you know, it's not a, lo- there's not a local spot. You know, to travel from Sioux Falls to Miami. It's not a 45-minute trip. It's not a 15-minute trip. Like, you know, you figure the New York Knicks and Westchester; those guys can go back and forth. Long Island and Brooklyn. Again, those two affiliations very close in travel. So that's just interesting in itself that Miami's been able to utilize the G League so effectively when there's great distance between the affiliations. But Chris, you you mentioned it. I mean, they've 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 used it as a great tool to kind of develop their guys. Duncan Robinson, they stashed him in the G League most most of last season. He became the sharpshooter, and obviously, it's easy to figure out what Duncan Robinson's niche was. He's a great three-point shooter, but they used the opportunity. Miami used the opportunity to have him grow, develop confidence in the G League. So by the time he got thrust into an NBA role, he was used used to knocking those shots down in pressure-filled situations, and that's why he was a starter, you know, in the NBA Finals. But even further, because you mentioned it too, they don't just stick with, with what they know in terms of guys that they have in, in Sioux Falls. They keep looking. They they scour the, the market for those potential diamonds in the rough. And Kendrick Nunn is a great example of that. Kendrick Nunn was a a sixth man essentially for the Santa Cruz Warriors last season. And you know, he was a sixth man in the G League because he wanted to know what it was like to come off the bench. He prepared for that role because in the NBA nothing is guaranteed. But lo and behold, the Heat needed a starting point guard. And Nunn's contributions, even though he he didn't play as much in the playoffs and and the NBA Finals, Nunn's contributions got them to that point, and they know it. So, you know, moving forward, Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson are going to be great pieces for the Heat, but you know they're going to keep looking because the G League has been a great platform for them.
0: Speaking on the other side of the NBA Finals was the Los Angeles Lakers, a team who had six players with G League experience, most notably was Al Caruso. What did the past NBA Finals say when it comes to how important it is to use the G League and find these contributors who could play significant roles with their team?
1: I, I think it's really funny that, you know, when you think about the NBA Finals, you think of stars, you think of high-pressured moments, you think of a guy like LeBron James, you think of a guy like Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler on Miami's side, but quite frankly... You know, we've seen it. As, as much as we'd like to give the stars credit, they can't necessarily carry the team all the way. You know, it's five on five, right? So the NBA teams have to consider how else do we we fill out our team, but also, you know, how do we get how do we get once we get the players to fill out our team, how do we make sure they're ready for these moments? You know, even if they're not getting the time in their first or second year, Alex Caruso. He was on a two-way with the, with the Thunder and the Blue. He was on a two-way with the Lakers and, and South Bay. I mean, and this guy, he, he was a leader on and off the court. He, he just he looked around himself and he thought, I've got to have confidence. I've got to be, you know, um, a, a leader for the guys either younger than me or a, a leader for the guys who, you know, might not have as much confidence as I do. And Alex Caruso, I mean, he's, he's confident in his, in his athleticism. He's confident in his ability to defend, taking no plays off. The guy hustles his butt off. And those are things that, you know, all these things add up. It's not going to add up to 20 points. It's going to add up to a win at the end of the night. And that's why he's able to contribute next to LeBron James because LeBron James will run the floor. He'll he'll score as many points as he wants. But who's going to pick up the slack when LeBron's a little exhausted and they need an elite defender? You know, Alex Caruso... He he doesn't take plays off, and I think that's why we saw him start Game 6 of the NBA Finals. And that's why the Lakers are champions, because they know they can depend on a guy like him who's going to kind of back LeBron up. You know, when, when the dust clears, what else needs to be done? And and look, you've got Alex Caruso, and, and the list goes on between Miami and L.A. They had a lot of contributors from the G League.
0: Keith Schlosser here on the podcast. So has covered the G League for eight years. You've seen the league just grow so much. What has it been like seeing the league grow and become a true developmental league for the NBA?
1: You know, I mean, I think it starts with the players' talent. You know, even eight years ago, you could see that these players were talented. So it's just a matter of, you know, one of the NBA teams going to to really look at this league, and, and when are they going to see that? You know, they don't have to look very far for talent or for that missing piece. You know, Jeremy Lin is a great example of that. You know, Jeremy Lin was on that 2010-2011, you know, big horn on squad, just like Danny Green was and Steve Novak and Hassan Whiteside. A lot of the guys that, you know, we know as NBA household names were there in the G League 10 years ago, you know. So it was just the point of the NBA kind of utilizing it as that platform to kind of, you know, find those diamonds in the rough. But now, you know, with regard to two-way players, and uh, with a lot of the guys getting paid in NBA training camps so that they can go play in the G League thereafter, the competition is at an all-time high now. So, you know, even even if they, there's always been talent there, but now the talent it rises to the occasion, and, and they don't have to sit on the NBA bench as often, or, or kind of wait their time, because by the time they get to the NBA, they're ready. They've been exposed. And look, you know that's from the player standpoint. But if we've seen in the G League in recent years experimental rules. We've seen the referee programs. A lot of the referees uh, in the NBA have have
0: G League experience.
1: And you know we've talked a lot about the coaches. You know this is the, the coaching in the G League. It, it provides every, the, the the I should say the exposure in the G League gives everybody the opportunity to get ready. It's not just the players, and that's why it's become such a valuable tool to the NBA.
0: You see teams like the Sioux Falls Sky Force and Santa Cruz Warriors, where they become really strong G League teams when it comes to net players and preparing them for the NBA, but they also create a winning environment and have won G League championships. How do you think that a G-League affiliate builds a strong affiliate when it comes to winning, creating a winning environment, but also building a strong developmental program?
1: From a developmental standpoint, it's all about reps, right? You know, Personally, I mean, listen, I've been around the G-League a long time. I see the value in, in throwing a player out onto the floor and getting them the experience and the exposure against the added competition. And, and letting them play and letting them be in situations where they've got the ball in their hands, or where they can't let it up on defense, or where they have to find players in transition—you can't replicate that experience sitting on an NBA bench. So that's in terms of development, there's really no better tool in the G League than to get to, so that you can get these guys ready, right? From a, a winning standpoint and building a, a cultural environment—I mean, I, I think you look no further than I believe it was the 2014-2015 Warriors. They, they won the NBA championship and the, and the G League championship the same year, and they had a guy like James McAdoo who went back and forth, right? He was in the G League, but at the same time, when the NBA team needed an injection of life, they called upon him, and he was ready because he knew in the G League and the NBA, they played the same plays. He was used to the offense. He was used to the coaching staff, and quite frankly, he, was, he wasn't afraid of the moment because he had been doing that you know, getting that work and in the G League. And he knew what competing on a championship floor meant because he had done it in the G League. A month later, he was getting minutes in the NBA. So I I think in terms of creating a winning environment, you know, if you you start things in the G League, you can replicate it in the NBA with no problem.
0: You see the undrafted players that start their career in the G League. They bet on themselves, they continuously grow in their rookie year and they embrace their opportunities from the G League to take their roles from there to an NBA squad. Despite players going undrafted, how is the G League just the start of these players' journeys towards a professional career? and possibly earning opportunities in the NBA.
1: I mean I think a, a fantastic example of, of that and it you know kind of goes back to your last question too with regard to building winning environments from the G League to the to the NBA is Fred VanVleet. I mean Fred VanVleet was a was a G League champion in 2017 alongside Pascal Siakam but Van VanVleet himself was undrafted 2 years later he was, you know, making key three-pointers for the, for the Toronto Raptors in the NBA Finals, and he's an NBA champion. Fast forward another year, he was, a, you know, a free agent, got a lucrative deal to stay with the Raptors. The, the organization obviously put the time in with him, put the investment in, and, and they see that he's a big part of their environment. You know, look, when you're undrafted, it, you know, it, it's not the end of the road. You know, Fred Van Vliet is a great example. There's plenty, plenty more uh, examples of, you know, we we talked about those a couple of guys earlier, Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn. When you're undrafted, you have the—I should—I could even say—you have the freedom of signing with whoever you want. You have the freedom of kind of picking your organization, picking your environment, and, and the undrafted guys—they're not going into de, um, pro, a program for a team that just needs to thrust them into. Maybe they're not ready to play 35 minutes in the NBA. Right, if you're the first or second pick in the NBA draft, you're expected to be the savior. There's too much pressure, and that could be a negative to development. So, with a, I'm going to go back to Fred Van VanVleet for a second. Fred VanVleet, you know, kind of found his niche. You know, kind of de- um, developed his skill set in the G League. He was comfortable. He he didn't have the pressure on him. And then when the when the Toronto Raptors needed him he was ready. So he's just one great. And, and then not only was he ready last year, but he, he kind of continued his rise this year, and now he's rewarded. So it's should tell you, you know, the opportunity at hand to kind of put the time in the G League and reap the benefits later is totally there.
0: Keith, thank you for your time today. I hope you and your family stay safe, especially during these COVID-19 times.
1: You as well, Chris. Happy to do this. Um, thanks.
0: That was Keith Schlosser here on the podcast. <laughs>